Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by legend, royalty, author, owner, and founder of the Clampett Studio Collections, Mrs. Ruth Clampett. Ruth, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no problem. It's it's a real, real honor. Uh, we were just having a talk uh, before we hit start and the great piggy bank robbery is sitting that cell over you. I, I, I want you to tell it again, but I don't want you to tell it again because it's like, oh, I'm going to make you tell the story for the second time within 30 seconds. That's but okay. like I said, this is one of my first earliest memories, first earliest memories as I butchered the English language again, but this is one of the earliest memories I've ever had of having cartoons is that episode that your dad directed and your dad had a huge part of so many of our childhoods. Uh, I would love to hear the story again, if you could please tell the story we just started. Oh yeah. I'd love to share it. Um, when I was 12 years old, I went with my mom and dad and our family went to the uh, second San Diego comic convention. And back then, I mean, now 125,000 people come to that convention, but at that time it was like, just under a thousand people came and it was at a hotel and it was all comic book people at that time. It wasn't when we had all these other things. And so um, there was a Saturday night, they had cartoons running in the big theater and it was packed, everybody was there. And um, so suddenly this cartoon came on and dad you know, said, this is one of my cartoons, Ruthie. And uh, it was a great piggy bank robbery. And so it opens up is waiting for the mail and he's getting very frustrated and then finally when it comes he throws all the mail out except for one thing and he takes off running and when he finally stops and he lifts up you get comfortable and he lifts up what he's going to read it says comic book on the front and the audience exploded it was all comic book people and they went nuts and so not only was it the first time I saw it on the big screen but to see how much it affected people I just looked at my dad and I thought wow (laughs) This is really cool. So it was, uh, it's a, a memory that I'll never forget. That's really cool. And like, thank you for sharing it again uh, with the listeners, because like I said, that, that I, I, I told you before we hit record, I've been having reoccurring dreams where it's flashes of that cartoon. And for the life of me, I could not figure out. I tried Googling so many different variations of words from the Looney Tunes to try to figure it out. And then it just happens to pop up as soon as we start chatting on Zoom. And I was like, man, I don't believe in any of that predestined shit. But I was like, man, it feels like this was kind of supposed to happen. So like I said, thank you for sharing that story. Um, Taking a step back, uh, you know, obviously we're doing this and you are the daughter of Bob Mm -hmm. Clampett, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's a little... It's interesting as is, is, is a word, because when I when we had the couple phone calls we've had, I told you it's really weird. It's like, hey, would you like to come on and talk, you know, about your dad? He's no longer here. Um, it's very it, for me. It, I just felt like I was like prying in a sense, but it was like I want to know more 
uh, about, like I said, he was probably the first Looney Tune cartoon I ever remember seeing. Daffy was my guy. I, I, I told you Daffy and Foghorn Leghorn were always my favorite. I loved fried chicken and there was something about the duck that I absolutely loved. I don't know if it was just, he was sarcastic. I don't know if it was, he was funnier than all of the other ones to me. It was just something about that, that, that Daffy duck. It, it just got me every single time. Um, but when you, we talked earlier, you, you said your dad had had kind of fell in love with animation through Felix the Cat going and clipping off. The yeah, set. yeah. So so the story is, I mean, he could draw before he could walk. He was always and he loved comics. And so he was always making up his own little comic strips and, and things like that, um, you know, when he was three and four and five. Um, and actually, when he was 12, he won a comic um, strip contest in the L.A. Times. Um, and they sent him to art school. And anyway, that's a whole other long story. But um, he just he loved the medium. But the minute he saw animation, when he saw Felix the Cat, and those were all without sound at that time, he just it, it, it changed everything. He was not going to be a, a newspaper comic artist anymore. He wanted to to do that. He wanted to do that kind of storytelling. And um, so he was just a kid, you know, probably maybe like nine or 10. And when he was in the theater and saw it, and one thing about dad, he was pretty fearless. Like he was very determined about what he wanted. So he actually went up to the projectionist's uh, booth and he asked the man if he could um, see a loop of the film so he could understand how the animation works. And the man was really charmed by him. You know, he got a kick out of it. And so, cause he told him he wanted to, to make cartoons. And so he had um, editing materials with him and he actually cut a strip hmm. off the, one of the cartoons uh, of Felix walking and gave it to dad. And he took it home and he studied it like for a long time to really understand how much, how subtle the movements were in each frame and all of that. And um, that was, you know, one of the things in the beginning that really set him off that direction. Now, how you said he was 12 when he did that? I think it's around that. I, I, I might not have that date right, but it, it might have been a little bit older. I'm not sure for sure. The only reason I asked that is because when we we talked earlier and I'm, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to reference. I'm going to say probably 100 times we talked earlier, um, but when we talked earlier, uh, you, you had said he had kept everything damn near uh that 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 wasn't lost um or damaged uh any chance that he might have kept this cell or was that something before he started collecting and and, and saving everything you know i'm not aware that we have that in his archives um and uh so i'm not sure if he has that strip or not um but i i'm sure he really treasured it so that, yeah, the, the things that were in storage that got flooded from his early days, um, it could have been in there. I, don't, I really am not sure. With, with what happened with the flooding, was there, could you guys save or restore anything or was, was a lot of it just lost? It, it was just lost, but luckily, I mean, you know, it was, it, for him, it, it broke his heart. And yeah. I think that had a huge impact on him in the future because a lot of the artists is like, why are you saving all these drawings? You know, this is a job. Like, why are you saving all this stuff? Dad saved everything. Like when we, you know, the, the, you know, the um, invitation to see Snow White for the oh. premiere, he saved that. 
you know, he has it for Fantasia. He has it for a bunch of the movies. He, he, cause he knew Walt and he was invited to go. And, um, it, you know, he, he, he just, after that experience of losing like his, his favorite books when he was a little kid and all of his earliest drawings and, you know, things like that, um, his Mickey Mouse, you know, the Mickey Mouse dolls that he was involved in creating. Um, and uh, so from then on, he was meticulous about saving things and then being safe. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, you mentioned nobody back in, ladies and gentlemen, nobody back in the day had the foresight that they would think that fans would want to not only see this, collect it, have it, watch it, you know, once it was out there, it was out there. Very rarely would you go and see it again, unless it was in the theaters when you could see the Looney Tunes cartoons and you can go back and watch them and watch them and watch them as long as they were in the, in the, in the, uh, the movie theaters. With that being said, uh, there was a director I had on here and I've brought him up in a bunch of times. This man is a national treasure. His name is Robert Alvarez. He's been in the industry, I think for 53 or 54 oh, yeah. years, right? Yeah. So Robert told me this story and, and anytime uh, I love looking at his social media, because what he'll do is he'll go and post a cell. He'll post a drawing, a storyboard, you know, a BG, a layout, something he'll post every single day. And sometimes he posts twice a day. And he always attaches a story with it. And one of my favorite stories he ever told me was when he, when him and his buddy, uh, Tim Walker would get on their bikes and they would go down to the Hanna-Barbera studios and they would go to the dumpsters because they would just throw this stuff away with the exception of Walt Disney, which I think they have almost everything in circulation as far as what they created, what they had, what was out there, any kind of memorabilia, any kind of anything that Disney made. I believe they have at least one of, whether it's in the family archives, the family vault, the, the Disney vault, they have almost everything. But not very many people were that forward thinking like Walt Disney was when it came to collecting the stuff. Um, but Robert was telling me he would go, he would go there and both Bill and Joe would chase him and Tim off of the <laughs> lot. They would have a golf club above their head, you know, chasing the kids off. And then he was like, I, I was like, well, what'd you do? He was like, well, we went back the next day, like what, what, what kids would do. And he was like, but when we got there, it was locked. Uh, so he was like, my dad would lift it up, you know, barely because they, they had the chains so he could get his little arm in there and oh, they would go and grab it. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's just crazy seeing and hearing these stories. And then just to think like, man, why, why wouldn't people think that the fans would want to see this? I mean, obviously the, the fan base has changed since the 40s the 50s the 60s there's more access to ladies and gentlemen like yourself um you know there's more access and want and need for the animation especially the animation of yesteryear right because without what your dad did and 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 other directors like him we don't have animation now you know i mean every, there you guys were the foundation the clampus studios was one of the building blocks of what current animation is there's so many animators that are in the industry now that are directly influenced by your dad, you know, it, it's wild to think about. I mean, when you sit back and think, you know, man, my dad made that cartoon. My dad did that. My dad did this. My dad did that. What is the biggest, and especially since you're writing a book now about your father, mm -hmm. what has been like the biggest, like, holy shit moment? Like my dad was this, or my dad was this, or my dad did this. What was there a big, like aha moment type of thing for you? Um, <laughs> the main thing that that comes to mind when you say that is um and there's some sadness to it but it was after he passed away very suddenly and um the academy did a, an evening tribute to him 
And um, they arranged for the nitrate prints of his best cartoons to be shown in the, the Academy Theater. And of course, uh, you know, a lot of wonderful people and friends of dad's and everything. And, you know, we were a very close family and, and, you know, mom always said that she had four kids, not three, you know, that my dad was one. And, and uh, we didn't fully understand maybe until after he passed away and we were pretty young when he did, but um, to be in that theater and see that and watch these cartoons in their perfect form was, um, was really an experience where it started to hit me. And it was right around that time that my mom decided to start doing limited editions of his work to keep his, his work and his spirit alive. And I ended up running that for her. And that's how I ended up working at Warner Brothers. But, um, you know, I just think, uh, and also just watching him at Comic-Con and how much he loved talking to the young artists and he loved talking to the fans. And I could see from these people and they would come tell me how much it meant to them. Mm -hmm. he, they showed them, his, showed dad his, their art and he talked to them and encouraged them. And, um, and it, it just really hit me, wow, what, what, you know, what an incredible life he had and how much it meant to people who cared about animation. Now, thinking on what you just said, mm -hmm. what is, what's your fondest memory of your dad? Oh, there's so many, so many fond memories. Oh. Or when you hear the name Bob Clampett, what's the first image or what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Fun. We just yeah. have fun, you know? He loved, I mean, people have asked me, did he have an issue with Disney? Like he did a lot of satires, you know, from Cole Black to um, in being at Cecil Beanie Land. And, you know, I mean, he just, you know, Corny Concerto was a spoof on Fantasia. Um, he, <laughs> loved Disney. he loved Disney. That's it was the opposite. It wasn't making fun of him. He admired it. And to him, satire is, is a compliment, right? And so, you know, he almost worked for Disney. Disney offered him a job. And when he was 17 and, and uh, I just think that he just knew how to, so we were at Disneyland at least twice a year yeah. and down to the beach. And we, we just always had fun and he, we would, you know, play games and draw things. And it was just, um, he was, had a really big spirit, you know, just a great attitude and he was fun. He laughed a lot and, you know, he took us places like he'd take us on dates um, where he'd take us to old movies. He mm -hmm. loved old movies. And and um, and we'd go out for ice cream and things like that. He, you know, he had his kids later in life. And I've often thought, you know, I wish he'd been in our lives longer. But on the other hand, you know, if, if he, there's no way, if he'd had a kid when he was working like at Warner Brothers, he, he had a studio across the street that he, after working all day making cartoons, he'd go over there and work on his other projects. Yeah. He would, we wouldn't have seen him much, you know, and, but we had, he came to all our school events and, you know, and, and talked to kids about cartooning. There's a, a friend of mine who's a, a very popular artist named Gary Baseman, and he was completely inspired. It started him down his path when he heard dad talk at school. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know if I can pick out one particular moment, but he just, it, it, it kind of feels like so many of the moments with him were just great. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, being a dad myself, uh, especially 
when I was growing up, I didn't have one. Uh, you know, he wasn't in the picture. <clears throat> I told the story a few times. Uh, he was more involved in drugs and women uh, than he wanted kids. He was he was young, right? Most most men aren't really men <laughs> until their mid thirties, is what I'm told. Um, you know, there's, there's a few exceptions out there like myself, you know, I'd like to pat, I'll break my own arm, pat myself on the back type of thing. Um, you know, so getting to hear stories about like what a dad actually is and what a dad is supposed to do. And then hearing those. And then I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna sound completely narcissistic. I was like, I do that with my kids. So I was like, I wonder if they're going to look fondly back on this. Cause I, one of my favorite things to do in the world, uh, is like my Disneyland. Disney World. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Disney World because I'm in Orlando. Uh, my Disney World uh, is going to the movie theaters. I absolutely mm-hmm. like that. The whole pageantry, just the walking up, the smell of popcorn, handing somebody your t- I hate when they tear my ticket though, because me and my we've been every movie uh, that my I've ever taken my son to, and we've been going to movies. Shit, I think his first movie was like four or five. We went to a kid's movie. I think we went and seen the Lego movie was the first movie. I've saved every ticket stub. And then we have this um, we have this little box that you can, it, it says admit one. And my wife got it. So it looks like it's got like almost like a bank or it's got a change, uh, like a change slot in the top. So every time we, we go see a movie, the first thing we do is the tickets go in my wallet. And then he goes and he puts it in the, in the little box when we get home. So, like I said, for the last eight years, we've been we've been saving all those tickets. And I don't know. I don't know what I want to do with it just yet. I don't know if I want to make it into, you know, like a collage or like on my desk. You can't really see it, but I'm a huge comic book guy. You can see my Ninja Turtle stuff and my Batman stuff is down there. But I went and bought a whole bunch of dollar comics and my entire desk is a collage of comics that I clipped out of my favorite characters. And I hodgepodge this the most crafty thing I've ever done in my life. The only crafty thing I'll ever do in my life because it just it's it fits me. Um, so I, I want to do something like that where he'll have it after I'm long gone. He can look at like, oh, shit, I remember when we went and seen a Lego movie. I remember when we went and seen Guardians of the Galaxy. So getting to hear those type of stories, I'm like, man, I'm not like Bob Clampett because I couldn't draw like him. But I got some of those stories, too. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, the. the... <laughs> I don't know why my phone has wanted to be involved in this. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, um, I think that uh, you know those those kind of memories with with the parent are so special, and and it's so heartbreaking to me the people I know that haven't had that, and and um, so I really commend you. I think it's great, and and you know, uh, Dad grew up in a very rough situation, and. Um, his parents, he was an only child and his parents um, went their separate ways very early. And his dad did like some traveling sales or something. Mm-hmm. So he really wasn't around that much. And uh, the one great thing I can say about him and his mom was devoted to him and dad took care of her his whole life, but they both saw his talent very early on. And, you know, a lot of dads were like, no, you don't want to be an artist yeah. or whatever. They completely, completely supported him with it and, and took him to see the things he wanted to see and do things. But he wasn't around his dad that much. And so I think like you were being that he he went all the way with us because he knew what it was not to have it. So, yeah, I commend you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, getting back to the whole reason we're here, you and your dad, um, <laughs> you're, you're running a studio and you talked about how much. I don't know if it's a personal question. So if it's too personal, we can skip over it. However, 
how many i know you said you were still skimming through trying because i can't remember if we dropped the ball and i didn't say you're writing a book about your dad already but it, ladies and gentlemen if i forgot to say that earlier in this episode i apologize but ruth is writing a book about her dad um and then you said you were still trying to figure out what pieces of art is going to go into the book which you'd like to highlight um and this is the personal question is do you know how many pieces you have in his entire collection as far as everything he's done well he he, he doesn't have everything he's, he did. Cause you know, it's hard to, in a studio, they do the early part of it yeah. and it goes to the next group. And so sometimes you can't get everything, um, especially cells when they used to wash them off to read. That's so insane. That's so insane. Very sad. Very sad. Um, and uh, so there, there are a lot of story storyboard drawings. So, you know, where there'll be a stack of like 50 from one scene mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of that. There's cells, there's um, backgrounds, there's um, caricatures when the guys were making fun of each other. There's, yes. like, <laughs> there's like over 500 caricatures in our collection yeah. done by all the different guys, not just that. And, um, but a lot that tells the history. Like we have the drawings when Leon Schlesinger told dad to Porky had gotten kind of uglier and kind of more obese and not a flattering way. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> asked him to kind of cuten him up. Yeah. We have the first drawings of that. We oh, have the model so sheets of most of, of the cartoons that he um, he worked on. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and he would, if he could have gotten his hands on everything, he would have, but that's, you know, what he did. And at that point, people didn't really say things like that. So. You know, they just thought he was crazy. <laughs> no, he was just all that stuff, Bob. You know, but uh, he he just he's he was a fanboy. You know, I mean, he has a Gertie the dinosaur drawing. You know, he has all these things from other people that he he admired, and um, and he he loved seeing other cartoons and seeing you know all kinds of films and. He was truly a fanboy. I can't say that about all the other animators that he worked with or that he knew, but or that I've known. Um, but it, it's it was really important to him all this stuff. Now I'm pretty sure you've heard this question uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of times. However, I'd be remiss not to ask. Uh, Two parter. What was his favorite? Who was his favorite character? If he could choose one, I know it's kind of like choosing your favorite kid for some of these animators because the first thing to say is like, oh, I like this one. I like this one. It's like having multiple kids. You like them for different reasons, but nobody's really your favorite, even though I know there's some people that have some favorite kids out there. Um, but who was who was your favorite character and who was your dad's favorite character? Um, well, I, I'm so sorry, but I can't I can't make just like it narrow it down to one let's go to mount rushmore i'm going to go ahead and 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 tell you the way i want to tell you so um i really for me um you know i love tweety bird Mm -hmm. you know because that was uh i what i love about tweety is he was so cute and charming and the way dad did him though that he had a way of winning you know of like taking care of those cats and uh and I admired that about him and just knowing that he was inspired by dad's baby picture and all that was a big deal. Um, and, and with Beanie and Cecil, you know, Beanie's girlfriend was baby Ruthie. Um, she's actually on a couple of, on the cell up there on the wall, but um, I really, 
I got such a kick out of the Wild Man of Wildsville, Go Man Go, Van Gogh. Um, and he was painting abstract paintings and swinging through the scenes. And I just thought for that time, that was way ahead of its time, just like I felt about Porky and Wacky Land. As for dad, you know, he used to always say, I can't choose one. You know, it's like choosing one of my children. Yeah. But I know that he had a real connection with Bugs Bunny. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, 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 the whole group of them were the fathers of Bugs Bunny. It was animation anyway is a very collaborative medium, but particularly in Bugs, everybody contributed something to him. But the way dad in dad's cartoons, when you see him, the fact that he could be really cool and like really clever and then be devious and then be, you know, um, funny or charming. Um, dad just really like connected with him. And he also had a great love for Cecil um, mm -hmm. and Cecil because he was, he was a really big hearted character, just a really sweet character. And he had been um, like for a long time in his past, he'd been alone. He was the only sea serpent and he was green and he was very lonely mm -hmm. and felt you know out of place. And when he met Beanie and, and Captain Huffenpuff, um, he had this friendship with them and he, especially with Beanie, he would have done anything to protect him or save him. So he's normally like in the cartoon, he's just sweet and fun. But if any, if Beanie is like in any way going to be hurt or anything, he will do anything to save him. And so I think those, those two characters are very close to his heart. Now, being a little kid, I don't know, <clears throat> since your dad had, such a huge part with Tweety. Did you know Tweety was a boy when you were younger? Oh yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I'm just a dumbass kid then. <laughs> no, you know what? Believe me, there are many like you. Okay, so when I worked at Warner Brothers, um, it, they kept promoting me. I ended up had a vice president of design for all the store product, and then I'd look at him like, "Why are you doing clothes with uh, Tweety Bird? You know, in a tutu?" Yeah. I go, you know. <laughs> Do you understand it's a boy? And even the some of the people that worked there didn't know, right? So because he's so cute and everything, I get why they thought it was a girl, but he was, yeah, it was always a boy. And it's based on dad's nude baby picture. So, you know, annoyed the heck out of them and when his mom insisted on having it in the living room. But um, yeah, no, you'd be amazed. And, and I, matter of fact, I still have something I found of dad's that he saved where it was a classroom where they were all voting and trying to decide if Tweety was a boy or a girl. And they, you know, wrote out why they thought so. And, and he just loved that, you know, but so, so join the club. You, you're not the first. <laughs> so the way, the way I ration, uh, I, I was trying to be rational as a young kid. Uh, so I had, uh, I used to have a great uncle Bob and he was one of the coolest people I'd ever met in my life. Um, him and my aunt Mary, my great aunt Mary, aunt, uh, they would come down every summer when we were probably no older than like fifth, sixth grade type of thing. So 10, 11 years old after then we were left, you know, I don't want to say we were left alone, you know, they just throw a bowl of food type of down and whoever survived, survived. It wasn't like that. It was just like, we got old enough where we could watch each other yeah. uh, during the summer. But before then, you know, uh, uncle Bob and aunt Mary would come down and, Uncle Bob and Aunt Marianne were from, man, I want to say they were born 
probably in the 30s, somewhere around there. Uh, I know my Mm -hmm. Uncle Bob spent some time in the Korean War and Vietnam and stuff like that. Um, And Aunt Marianne was older. Excuse me. So she's definitely in her upper 80s. Um, But uh, whenever they would come down, uh, the only thing they would do, because one, it's Florida, it's hot as hell in summertime. They're from West Virginia. So they're used to a a heat, but not a Florida heat. Uh, That Florida heat is very, very oppressive. Uh, the humidity alone breaks most people. So what we would do is we'd be we'd be on the couch the entire summer watching TV Land. Uh, so we'd watch Night Rider, A Team, you know, Walker, Texas Ranger, in the heat of the night, all of that stuff. And we watched the same episodes every single summer, from morning till afternoon till evening when my mom got home. Every single day for summer, right? The only the only bright spot because all I wanted to do was watch cartoons. We only had one TV in the house like most people did. Um, now kids are lucky these days. They've got phones in their wallet or they got phones in their pockets. They got phones in their rooms. They got phones in the bathrooms and the kitchens everywhere. Right. So the only one we had was that one that Aunt Mary and Uncle Bob would always clog up with those with those shows. But when they fell asleep or when Uncle Bob fell asleep, because my Uncle Bob, he was a very, very tall man. He's probably like six, 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 seven. And he had wow. this big old he had this big old beer gut. Right. But he didn't drink. Right. He just had a big old belly. And he would wear his he would wear his pants over his belly button. He was that type of old man, right? So, <laughs> my spot on the couch was laying back on Uncle Bob's big ass beer belly with my hands like this, stretched out on the couch, and my feet would be on my Aunt Marianne and stuff. So we'd watch these. And when they would fall asleep, I would flip the channel over to Cartoon Network. By this time, Cartoon Network was playing Looney Tunes. So when the Looney Tunes would come on, my great my Aunt Marianne would wake up right? She always wore, she would, we used to refer to her as denim Dan. I don't know why we called her denim Dan, uh, but she would not wear nothing besides denim, denim jackets, denim jeans, and a white t-shirt underneath. That's all she ever wore. She was like Johnny cash, right? That's the only thing she ever wore. Johnny cash wore black. She just wore denim, but the, the, the single thing of color that she would have on her is she would have Tweety bird like stitched. It was almost like those old punk rockers that would have this, the, the patches and stuff. She would have Tweety bird patches on. Right. So I assumed because my, my aunt Marianne was a female, I just assumed like, Oh, females like female characters, males like male characters. It's what you try to do to associate or try to break down stuff when you're a 10 year old. Right. So for the longest time, like I said, I just thought he was, a girl because my aunt Marianne liked, I didn't have this thought where like, Oh, if you're a boy, you could like girl characters. If you're a girl, you can like boy characters. It just didn't cross my mind back in the day. So that's why, like I said, that's why I had this rationale that Tweety's for sure a girl until I was about 12 and like, no, dumb, dumb. He's a boy. And I was like, no, that makes sense. So. (laughs) Well, no, it's it's a common thing. (laughs) I guess so, man. Hopefully not so common anymore. Um, He's a, he's a very fun character too. I really enjoy him. Like I said, Daffy's still my guy with Foghorn coming in second, very close second. Um, But, but Tweety's up there. Um, Let's check the time. All right. So we're running about 40 minutes. We'll, we'll talk for a little bit longer than we'll rotate over to the fans questions. Um, With the book you're writing now, Mm -hmm. are you, we talked earlier uh, and you said you're on your first draft. Uh, so I don't know anything about writing other than I suck at it. I'm trying to get better. I'm writing some stuff, um, but it's a craft like everything. You get, the more you do, the better you get at it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but with that being said, uh, when a first draft is done, are you completely done with the book and now you're editing it to make it smaller? Or are you trying to see if you're going to add more pieces in? What does a first draft really entail once you're done with it? Um. 
Well, that's a good question because I've published books before, um, but it's different with this book because for one thing, I want everything to be absolutely correct yeah. you know, with the different things in his life. And um, I'm working closely with my brother and sister on that because uh, both of them worked with my parents at different times. I was off like, you know, on my adventures going to design school and photography school and so forth. But um, they, they know some things I don't and vice versa. And so we've worked as a team to make sure we get everything right. And there's so much research involved. And my daughter who um, she's in her last year of college now and she does a lot of uh, writing. And, and I said, this is taking a long time for me, Alex. I have to spend so much time doing, getting the research right and all that. And, um, and also dad kept everything, not just the art, but you know, letters and, wow. you know, and all kinds of different things and interviews. There's always copies of all the interviews. So I've had mountains. At one point there was a hundred bankers boxes. I've had mountains of stuff to go through. And, and pull out the really significant things that I wanted to put in the book. So um, I, I actually, somebody who does all my content editing for just mistakes and so forth, she's already working on the first half. Mm -hmm. And, um, but there's going to be, you know, I, I just want to be a real thorough, have us all look at it, make sure that the facts are right. Mm -hmm. And while I'm Meanwhile, pulling all the art that's going to be in it's going to a lot of art is going to be in the book too, which I know a lot of that's what a lot of the fans like to see as well. So, um, so it's you know it's a laborious process, but um, it's it feels like one of the most meaningful um, things I'm do, I've done in my life, you know, because I, you know, we just respected and loved our dad so much, yeah. and we believe so much in him and his legacy. And so to have something finite, especially because you know what's so cool is I'm finding now a lot of the young generation that is really starting to see this old animation and getting into it. Um, a lot of them have become Bob Clampett fans, yeah. and and um, and that's really exciting to me. And so they, I get more people following me like on Facebook every day, and. Um, and I just love that. So it makes me extra inspired to, to tell the stories and to let them know kind of how dad worked because he was really one of a kind. I mean, in terms of his approach and then all the other projects that he was working on while he was at Warner Brothers, a lot of people don't even know about. And at a couple of times where he almost left the studio because another huge opportunity had been coming his way. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and also like the, doing this helped me learn so much more about his puppet show time for Beanie that he did after he left Warner Brothers, because I mean, he won three Emmys. Mm -hmm. He had things with some of the biggest celebrities in Hollywood at the time, you know, he'd be on a, a show with them or something with the characters. And it was the, it, the absolute advent of television, all the shows, they were 15 minutes a day, five days a week. They were um, sh all shot live yeah. and he loved it. He could read something in the news that morning and put it in the show that night. So for me to learn so much more about that time, because you don't see it again on TV like you do with cartoons, um, has really kind of blown me away. Just all the different things he did. It was really extraordinary. He was fearless. <laughs>
So I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a pretty good idea about how you felt uh, and how you feel about your father and his just his importance to fans, to you, mm-hmm. to the world of animation. I mean, we owe him. I, I really wish I'm sure you do, too. I really wish he was here so he could hear this stuff and just see all these people he inspired. <clears throat> excuse me. All the work that's come through the 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 last few decades you know because of your father i mean it, it's it's amazing right so you know how we feel and we know how you feel this is another personal question so we can skip over it if you, if you don't like but what about your kids and then your brother and sister's kids i got to imagine that they've got to be just as proud you know oh. obviously they probably didn't get to meet him but just seeing his work and then hearing the stories that i'm sure you share on a consistent basis to keep that memory alive, to keep that spark, that imagination going. So I got to imagine it's a pretty big kick for them to be like, holy shit, man, he did Daffy. He did Tweety. He did Porky. He worked on bugs. He did this. He did this. He made this cartoon. He helped with this cartoon, all this stuff that they grew up with. And they had like firsthand experience type of thing with, with us. We're, we're on the outside looking in, but, but them, they were on the inside looking deeper. Right. So, what does it feel like for, for like your daughter? Like you said, you were talking to her about writing all of this and she's finishing up college. Is it a head trip for, for her to be like, Oh man, he, he, he did this. And this is like one of the biggest things of all time. She is, she loves it. She's incredibly yeah. proud of, of him and his legacy. And, <clears throat> and, you know, the thing that was so cool, um, like her favorite, thing in all year is to go to San Diego comic yeah. She's a comic book fan. She loves DC comics, you know, and I was publishing fine art for DC comics and she had it in her dorm room. And, um, it, but she's so proud of dad's legacy and she's um, way more talented and smarter than I am. And so <laughs> she's, she's going to be going through the book with me. She's encouraged me in a lot of ways She's done, she's a double major at USC in international relations, but she's in the film school um, uh-huh. and wants to be an editor. So um, she, she wants to see his, you know, his legacy stay alive and for more people to know about him. And my brother has two sons and who are also super proud of, um, of their grandfather. Yeah. That, that's so cool. And one of the many talks, I mean, many talks, we've talked twice on the phone, makes it sound more many, many, it's such a stupid way it's, to put it. It feels like so much. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does. Because the, the conversation we've had, I've, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I, I, I always love having, like I tell you guys before we hit record, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert. I'm barely passable at the job I've been doing since I was 12 type of thing. And I've been cooking since that, like, I mean, cooking for 20 years. So I'm barely an ex. I'm not even an expert in that because there's stuff that I learn on a consistent basis. I'm like, man, I'm really, really in the weeds here because I should have known that about 10, 15 years ago. Um, but, but I, I love seeing uh, just a legacy kept alive, right? Because I had Jorge Gutierrez on, and I can't remember if I talked to you about him, uh, but he did the Book of Life. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. Right. That is one of the most beautiful movies i have ever seen in my life and i had him on about two weeks not even two weeks it maybe a week week and a half maybe somewhere around there it was very very soon after my father-in-law passed um and when i had him on like i wasn't going to talk about it I, there's it's been very difficult to come back in 
do this type of stuff because he's no longer here, right? He would have been 62 last Wednesday. A week ago, he would have been 62, right? So it's been very difficult for my wife and very difficult for my son because every time I would deploy, when I was in the Navy, I would, I deployed for four straight years. I deployed a year. I was home for like six months. I would deploy again. I'd be home for a few months, few weeks. They were on the East coast. I was on the West coast and I would deploy again. It was very, very difficult. But every time I would deploy, they would come back here and then they would stay with them. We, we had bought a house, but we were, they were trying to take the house that we bought and turn it into a home. Um, so when I had Jorge on here, it was right after he had passed and I was trying to like get in the right headspace. but Jorge is such this infectious, um, what's just joy, right? He, he's like, I look at him and I just started smiling. Like it was like all of the, even though it was only an hour and a half talking for the hour and a half, I didn't think about the negative. I didn't think about the bad. Um, but he told me this, this beautiful story on, on how the Mexican culture looked at death right? He was like, we look at death, it's a celebration, right? Yes, they're no longer here, but we have these stories. And he was like, well, when, when I would sit down and I would talk to my dad or I'd talk to my mom about the people that are no longer here, they would tell me these stories. And it was like, I was, I got goosebumps right now. He was like, I was living these stories. Like I was meeting these people for the first time. I was experiencing this. I was experiencing that. I could smell it. I could taste it. I could feel what they were feeling, right? And then I, I started to be like, oh man, I wasn't going to bring this up, but you know, I, I, I told him, I was like, I just lost my father-in-law. I have not been in the right headspace to talk about this type of shit because at the end of the day, don't take this the wrong way, Ruth. It's fucking cartoons, right? It, it's just like, it, it seemed like there was much more, there were better things that I needed to be doing with my time. Right. It was very difficult for me to like get away from my nine month old son. It was very difficult for me to get away from my wife that I've been with for 16 plus years now or seven, 15 years. We've been married for 14 in May. So 15 and a half years. Um, you know, it was very difficult for me to even leave my dogs. Right. So, I mean, it was just, it was, I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to be with my thoughts, you know? So, but when he was bringing up all of this stuff, like how you should look at death and you shouldn't fear it, you should not, you know, accept it, but it's like, it, it's, it's supposed to be beautiful. It's sad. Yes. But he was like, the good thing is, is, is as long as you have these memories of your father, your father-in-law, your, your granny, you know, whoever's not here, they're always with you, right? You, you, you'll be sad, but you'll also be happy because you can have those memories to draw back on. And I got to imagine, you know, just us talking about this and you going through the book, there's a whole point for all that word bomb. And I just threw out there, there's a whole point. I'm going to wrap this thing up and wrap it back around going through all of this with the book. While it might've been very sad, I've got to imagine it was very cathartic. I hope that's not the right word. Can't think of the word I'm trying to use now. Cathartic, cathartic. Yeah. Cathartic. That's the right word. I sit there and stumble. It had to be very cathartic for you. You know, it was very like a, almost like a release, like you get to bring it in. I'm sure you had some pretty rough days when you were trying to think about this type of stuff and trying to write this stuff down. I got to imagine it was pretty rough, but at the end of the day, I got to imagine it's very rewarding to, to have the first draft of this book done. You know, you really nailed it. Cause it was when I did hit the parts in his life where there were major disappointments or things that had gone wrong and it just gutted me, even though I knew about it, but like really getting deep into it. Um, it was, it was very painful. He, you know, he was a fun and wild and crazy guy, but he, he was also super sensitive. So if, if, if somebody had done him wrong or 
accused him of things or whatever, it really broke him. It really got to him. And there were points where I thought, I don't know if I can even keep on because this is really, but luckily I, I, I worked through it. And then when I got back to the happier parts, like, cause they, that he definitely had, he was so disappointed by limited animation television in the sixties and how it just sort of the, the business people were making creative decisions and crazy low budgets and then giving them changes when the cartoon was already finished, not being aware of what's involved. And he was just burned out on it. And um, and those were some rough years where he just, he had to be inspired to create and he wasn't. And, um, but then when I, I look back and when I got towards the end where he was at Comic-Con and he was meeting all these young artists and he had this group of young artists that were friends and they'd come up and watch cartoons at the house. Yeah. And, and he was so happy and he was so happy. And I think about him now with, he, he died very suddenly. There was actually a mistake in the hospital. It was completely unexpected. We had just seen him on Good Morning America and he had the day before, um, uh, you know, been on another show and suddenly he was gone. And I think the one thing is my mom and he were the most, they had the most incredible marriage I've ever witnessed. They just, they worked together. They were together 24 hours a day. And um, she later got Alzheimer's and I'm so grateful he didn't go through that with her because yeah. it would have just broken his heart. And so I just sort of accept now whatever was meant to be, but at least he was so happy being on this tour, promoting yeah. this new, you know, the, the Beanie and Cecil's going out on VHS. And um, at least he went with that wonderful thing in his heart, you know, and my mom was with him. And yeah. So you just never know in life how it's going to go, but uh, he, you know, I would have loved for him to live longer, but he did have an extraordinary life, even if it ended maybe a little too soon. Yeah, I, I, it's beautifully put. Um, before we hit the fans' questions, there are some questions that I'd like to ask. Even though I've been asking questions this entire time, I'd be remiss <laughs> not to ask a couple bit more. Um, <clears throat> I'm here. <laughs> Has there been an animator, an artist, or, you know, somebody that's reached out and said, your dad was such a huge influence to me that you're like, wow, I, not that I wasn't expecting that person to, to you know, to, to be a fan of my dad, but it was there somebody who was like, oh, wow, I, it's insane that my dad influenced your work in this way. Well, I mean, honestly, I'm sure there's some, I, I can't think of it right off the top of my head, but I do know a lot of the young animators that he became friends with, ha it had that reaction. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, John Kirkfalusi is an example of Ren yeah. and um, and he talks about the Great Piggy Back Robbery and that cartoon like changed his life. You know, he, he just, he, he had never, uh, whatever of dad's cartoons, he, they didn't, they had taken his name off of them. And so he didn't know what, you know, what he did. So when he figured out who Bob Clampett was and he just revered him and, and felt he learned so much from him and then in talking to him and being friends with him. So um, I've, I've seen that from a lot of, of, you know, really great animators and artists, Rick Farmelow and different, 
a whole lot of people that he he was friends with. Um, but somebody like kind of coming from a different area. I mean, I know I, I we know that there have been people like um, I'm, I'm going to forget their names. I'll have to think of it. But you know, famous people who just loved his work so much. But yeah. it's a little different than a, a, another animator or yeah. somebody who wants to be an animator. So. Um, yeah, he, he definitely got a lot of love in his life from people who appreciated his work. That's cool. Uh, do you, doing all of the research you've done, uh, who were some of your dad's biggest influences? He was influenced pretty much by everything. I mean, yeah. he loved like the swashbuckler movies and, and, you know, these, these actors that would do these very dramatic scenes. Mm -hmm. He, he saw a movie that had a huge impact on him called The Lost World. Yeah. And um, it, it, you know, it had this serpent kind of character. It was the inspiration for Cecil. And um, just to, to, to real, the way the story was presented and how there was this other world that, you know, he went into, that had a huge impact on dad. So um, he, you know, he greatly admired Walt Disney. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had that experience where his, um, she was called Aunt Charlotte. She was a good uh, friend of the family and, and she wanted to, uh, she sold, made and sold things for the gift departments and department stores. And she was trying to come up with a doll and nobody was buying off on the one she did. So she asked dad, cause she knew he was very talented. He was 15. And he said, I've just seen this uh, cartoon in the movie theater called Steamboat Willie. Yeah. And it's this character, Mickey Mouse, and, and I think that'd be a great character. So she asked him to find some pictures of him, and there weren't any out yet, believe it or not. So he went and watched it and did the drawings. And then when his dad saw what they were doing, he says, you can't do that. This guy owns these characters. So he put them in the car and drove them over to the Hyperion studio. This is where just this little place, right? And uh, when Roy and Walt saw it, they went nuts. So there was a little house right near the, the um, studio where they were, and they put her up in a house making those dolls. It was the first Disney merchandise ever. And dad would come over after school and um, operate the machine to brush the stuffing off. So some people say, oh, Bob Clampett says he created the first Disney merchandise. No, he's never claimed that. He, she was the one that came to him and said, give me a doll idea. And he happened to have just seen it and, and suggested that. Um, but it was kind of ma magical then how it all played out and where he got to meet Walt and Walt would come by and pick up dolls to take to meetings and, um, sales meetings. And that's how, you know, he ended up being offered a job by Walt, Walt when he showed him all the drawings. So, um, anyway, he's, he, um, yeah, lots of good stuff, lots of stories. It's going to be in this book. <laughs> can, can you, can you just put yourself in a position, close your eyes and sit there and think, what does Mickey Mouse look like? I don't know, man. There's no pictures out there. <laughs> I'm going to draw one in a world where the house of mouse is recognizable and probably every, even if you've never been to Disney world or Disneyland or seen a Disney yeah. movie, you know what Mickey Mouse looks like. You know what Coca-Cola looks like. You know what the Superman S looks like, the Batman symbol. You know there's certain things out there. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. Everybody knows 23 is his, you know. So it's it's crazy to think that not even 100 years ago that 
oh man, I don't know what this, what is, what is a Mickey Mouse? What is a Steamboat Willie? What is, what is, what is well, a Walt Disney? You just have to think, I mean, this was like just a few years before that there, there wasn't even animation. Yeah. So it's like he got into the, being an animator at the very forefront. Yes. And, and then he left because he saw television. He saw it actually a few years before it actually was happening at one of the world fairs mm-hmm. and he ran up and, and got, he brought a Cecil puppet with him and he did it on the television and he realized he believed this was going to be a big thing, this idea of television. And so when he moved into that, it was the, you know, the first group that was finding out about TV. And then the same thing with limited animation and TV, he was one of those, people always at the forefront of what the next thing was going to be. And, you know, right before he went on that trip where he passed away, um, I was living at home when I was going to art center and I'm studying photography and, um, and I would love to watch um, um, music videos because MTV had just started. And that's when they had them 24 hours a day, just videos. And some of them were so creative. He used to sit there and watch them with me. And he said, this would be a really cool platform to put animation in. Mm-hmm. And I could see the wheels turn. It was finally, he needed something that he could be excited about. And I think if he had come back from that trip, I think he would have gone that direction. That's really cool. What, what would have been if that would have happened? I would have loved to have seen that. I'm pretty sure you would have too. Yeah. Um, last question before we rotated the fans questions. Uh, your dad, like, I know you're writing the book this needs to be a movie and I'm pretty sure. Uh, uh, come on. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm sick. I'm laughing because a good friend of mine who um, represents different artists and um, authors and so forth. Um, and she's been involved in the, some films that have been made in a particular genre. And um, when she started hearing some of my dad's stories, when I was writing the book, she lives near me and we um, do a lot of things together. And um, she said, Ruth, we need to do a documentary about your dad. Yes. What, a, what a fascinating life. And she's the type of person to get stuff done. One of our very dear friends, this is what happens when you live in LA, um, is uh, a pretty high level person at Netflix and they're doing a lot of documentary. So I, I like that you're thinking that way. Yeah. And, um, and I really would love to see that come to fruition because it's, I mean, his, just his youth alone, I mean, the, the stuff he did was so unusual and like so cool of early Hollywood. They used to go, his mom would take him to the, they called them previews um, at the movie theaters and like they'd go to Groman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard and they knew where to sit because the heads of the studio would be sitting right behind them. Yeah. And to watch the reaction from the people watching. And then after dad would follow them out and stand next to them, but he was just a boy. So they didn't, you know, and the mom would step aside and he'd listen. He said he learned more about making movies from hearing their conversations than anything. So these are the kind of things that were happening to him when he was so young. And uh, yeah, I think it'd be a real interesting uh, movie. We'll see. It really would. And I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not anything other than the fan. But when you were telling that story about him holding up Cecil, right, to the projector, that's the opening shot right there. And yeah. then you go backwards. Have uh, 
have do you watch much netflix or much hulu much tv i know you're writing a book so you've probably been been i watch some but yeah i don't i don't typically have a lot of time to watch those other things but yeah it's cool it's amazing what streaming is happening there. yeah it really is uh and and if you if you if you haven't seen it yet i i it's a huge animation recommendation uh he, this son and and i took that from another show because he does it uh every week animation destination fantastic podcast for animation fans um but uh he didn't he didn't use this one so this is it, i don't know why it popped into my head but there's a movie on netflix that just dropped about two weeks ago maybe a week and a half ago apollo 10 and a half have you heard it seen of it mm-hmm. man premise it's it's a weird first 10 minutes are going to be really weird because of the animation style. I, I don't, I don't know the technical style, but it looks like if they would have gotten animation in the sixties, but it was like animation from a computer coming in the sixties, if that makes any sense. So the premise of the movie is uh, it's Apollo time. So it's a space race with the Russians. Um, we're trying to get to the moon and they NASA builds the lunar landing module a little too small and it's small enough for a 10 and a half year old to get in there. So they go to this kid that's in the sixties. His dad works for NASA. Um, like, Hey man, we gotta, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't let the Russians win. We got to get you up in this lunar module. Uh, you'll be the first person to land. You can't tell anybody it's top secret. Um, but it's, it's just this beautiful, like that's how the story sets up. And then like halfway through it, not even halfway through it, right at that scene, he's like, how I got here, you got to kind of see where we came from type of thing. So it's life in the 60s during the whole, they're showing like TV first coming on and MTV, like music is being played for the first time. They've got their first television. It's just like some of the stuff is in color, the Brady Bunch, and they're showing all of these shows, the Munsters, the Adams Family, the this, the Beverly Hillbillies, all of the stuff is popping up. And he's like, and if you were, if you were having fun, it would be, oh, board night. So Monopoly, Clue, all of this other stuff just starts popping up. It's just this visual overload of like what it was like I was born in 1989, so I don't know what it was like to live in the 60s. However, just putting up the stuff, you could be transported to that time. And the first thing that I thought about when you were talking about him holding the puppet up is that movie. And I'm like, man, what an amazing opening to a movie. It's just a little Bob Clampett. The reason I bring that up is who do you, who would, if you had the keys to the kingdom and this movie was happening, who would you want to play as your dad? Man. It's a tough I've question. I've been thinking about that recently, and um, and I haven't I haven't figured it out yet. But um, I'll, when I'm going to work on that, and then yeah. I'm going to come back and tell you. And it won't be unfortunately in this podcast, but we'll figure out a way to share that with other people. <laughs> Part two, when that biopic starts getting made, you can there hear. There you go. <laughs> we'll Absolutely. All right. Well, like I said, this has been a real fun chat. We're going to rotate to the fans' questions here. Um, and there was quite a few that wrote in some really, really good ones. I really enjoy, um, when, when the fans write in because they make me, I don't want to say they make me feel dumb, but they make me feel dumb with how smart some of these questions are. Now, some of these questions tend to be a little wishy-washy depending on what's being asked. Um, so crab rack, crab raccoon, uh, wanted to know what was your favorite character. So you answered that one a little bit. Um, we didn't ask uh, your favorite a uh, favorite episode of anything your dad ever worked on. So you got one or two, or maybe. Well, working in Wacky Land is a big one to me. I think that, um, I mean, the first time I saw it, because I, I, I love contemporary art and I love I love all forms of art, 
And, you know, my whole world has been, and my career has been wrapped around that. And the, the, the surreal aspect of it, you know, and he liked, he liked surreal art. He, we had all kinds of traditional and modern art books in our house. And, um, but he really, a lot of people say, especially when you think of the year that that was made, he like went into a whole other realm with that cartoon. And, you know, the, the, in, in our um, archives in Washington, that film has been preserved as being such, you know, such a groundbreaking kind of film. It's one of the few, you know, Looney Tunes cartoons that's in that, in that uh, category. And um, I was just reading the, one of the LA Times uh, reviews of when it came out and just like, you know, they were blown away. I mean, people had never seen anything like it. Yeah. And um, so I, I just, I, matter of fact, I was very indulgent when we started making limited editions from my dad's cartoons. I actually did a portfolio box of Porky and Wacky Land with, along with a booklet of five different pictures, scenes from that film, hand-painted cells, um, five different ones all in a portfolio box. I mean, if that wasn't um, my, my passionate, like I had to do it. Luckily, people loved it and bought it. But, you know, at the time I thought, you know, I don't care. I really want to do this because it's, it's, uh, it's my favorite. And it was just so interesting and inventive. And every, every minute something wacky was happening. And, and um, yeah, I mean, he, when you look at his body of work, he, he tried, he went a lot of different directions. He tried all kinds of things. He didn't just have a formula of how he liked the cartoons, you know, there's a wide variety of stuff. So I would say that's my favorite. Now, I'm glad you brought it up because I told you about it earlier before we hit record. Uh, as I hit the microphone again, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, there was a guest on a few weeks ago, a few months ago now at this point, um, Peter Hannon, creator of Cat Dog for Nickelodeon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, he doesn't see that movie because there's a scene of a cat and a dog in there. And I think he said it was the twister part. Um, there is a scene in there where he is inspired to create his television show, Cat Dog. Uh, so without your dad, I mean, you ever you ever heard of that game? Six degrees of bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like six degrees of Bob Clampett now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, it's. It's thrilling for me when um, artists come talk to me about, you know, like I, I mentioned my friend Gary Gaisman, how much his work influenced theirs. And, and for anybody creative, we live in, in a world where we will find the things that inspire us. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's just natural. It's, you know, so yeah, he took that idea and he made it his own with his own show. And it's, that's wonderful. And, um, I think it's a great honor, you know, when that happens. So, um, you know, yay, <laughs> yay, dad. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's wild how big this world is yet yeah. how small this really, this world really is. Cause without him working in a movie theater, playing that, walking in there, seeing it, he doesn't have that inspiration. And then the fans don't get to have one of Nickelodeon's best cartoons from the nineties. I mean, I loved that cartoon so much growing up as a kid, you know, so it's just wild to think without that influence from your father, we don't get that. 
And then I would wonder what else we don't get because of your father's direct influence on so many people's lives. Um, so it's always a fascinating topic to see. You never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. So make sure that you always put something good out there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, uh, this one's an interesting question because I feel like that's all we've done today is talk about your dad's history. Dorkweed576 wants to know, have you gone back to look at Bob's history? I got to imagine you've went back to look at your dad's history because you're writing this book. Do you, have a, do you have a page? I don't know if you're allowed to answer that question. Do you have a page count on the book? Is it going to be a pretty decent, decent sized book? Well, just the, the story itself is um, about 140 pages yeah. and then add all the art into it. So it'll be more pages than that. But it, it really covers from when he was born until when he passed away to all the significant things. Like I didn't even know until like a, a week or two ago that he actually, they, being in Cecil, were part of um, the opening of the very first 3D movie. Wow. They were, it was, they were doing a thing where they were sort of showing how the, the glasses work and everything um, with this other actor. And I was like, I didn't even know about that. I mean, you know, and, and so now I have images of it and, and uh, can add that to the story, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really something I've learned. I've learned a lot and, and yet he shared everything with us. So it just shows how much he did, you know, he really was all over the place. Now, this, this is going to seem like a weird question, so I apologize if it sounds weird. Do you feel close to your dad now by going through and looking at him? I all? do. I do. And I, I, I mean, some people might roll their eyes, but I will say that I have felt his and my mom's presence a lot yeah. in my life. I, I definitely do. And I think that, um, I think this is something he would have really, really wanted. And, and, uh, so it's like a great honor for me to do it. No, and, and if anybody wants to go out there and roll their eyes, fuck off, right? So, <laughs> you go. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and and I'm I believe me, I've I've lived many years, and I um I have a lot of dad in me. I mean, nobody's gonna stop me. Nobody's gonna upset me when it Good. comes. To, yeah, I like to hear that, man. So. <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that uh, I'm not even going to get into. I don't want to put any negative shit out there, but it's just uh, I can 100 percent. There's days where I'll sit there. It's very close to my granny. Quick story. I was very, very close to my granny growing up. Uh, she was she was the type of lady, uh, real Southern lady. Um, so every morning I would go over there back when my dad was actually in the picture before I turned five. Um it was his, it was his grandmother. So it's my great grandmother. Um, so my mom would work and my dad would work. So my mom would go and drop me off in the morning. Cause my dad worked construction as electrician by trade. Um, so my mom would drop me off in the morning cause she was a bill collector. So she could go in a little bit later. She was generally in the office about eight 30, nine o'clock. So my granny would see me and, uh, I did not like milk. I still don't like milk. I don't, it's just so disgusting. So my granny would, would, would watch my mom. She'd, you know, look around. She's like, all right, all right. She's leaving. So she would take the bottle that I had in my little sippy cup. She would dump out the milk and then she would put sweet tea in it. Right. So it was the only way that I would actually drink stuff because there's sweet tea in it. So she would mix milk and sweet tea. It sounds disgusting. The British drink milk and tea all the time. So it's just not as sweet, but here, neither here nor there. Uh, you know, so whenever I'm going through a tough time, 
whenever I'm feeling down, whenever I'm feeling blue, the person that I, that in my opinion, loved me, I don't want to say she loved me more than my mom, because it was a different kind of love for sure. There's, there's something different about, and I don't have grandkids and I've got a 12 year old son, so I better not have grandkids for at least another 20 damn years <laughs> at least. Right. So, but there, there are days where I can sit there and something happens where perfect example, I'm at work the other day and I'm messing with stuff on the shelf and I have this can of tomato paste, not a little can of tomato paste that you get in the grocery stores, a fucking 10 pound can, right. Of tomato paste, because I work in the restaurant, we go through this stuff crazy for some reason I'm messing with stuff. And I don't know if I was just in the zone or somebody said, Hey, move your foot, but I'm moving stuff and a whole thing comes down, right. Right on top of my foot. And I move my foot right at the last second right? I don't get hit. Right. And I don't know if I don't want to say this to sound douchey, but maybe somebody was out there saying, Hey, move your foot or, Hey, don't stand there. There's been plenty of times in my life where I felt like somebody was looking or felt like somebody was right there on top of my shoulder saying, Hey, watch out. Or, Hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, you're doing great. You know, the darkest times is when you really need somebody to come up and say, Hey, something good. Right. And there's been plenty of times in my life, my 32 years of life that I've had that happen. And I got to imagine just like you, you writing this, you feel like you're close. You have that connection with your dad already. And then you become closer with your dad after writing this stuff. I got to imagine they're there with you every single step of the way. And like I said, if somebody wants to roll their eyes, turn around the door's right there, man. You don't have to listen to this podcast. You don't have to listen to Ruth. You don't have to buy the book. You don't have to do anything, but I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to buy this book. I can't wait till the movie comes out. So I'm hoping you're working on it soon. Uh, You're great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Getting back to these questions. Uh, I feel like we answered that, uh, that, that question. Uh, So fudge hog fan, that one was yours. Um, Smashing time 98 wants to know. Uh, did your father ever express wanting to work with any of the characters that were created after his tenure at Warner Brothers? Uh, I noticed in Bugs Bunny, Superstar, he had quite a few pieces with Yosemite Sam on there, technically uh, created before he left, but just by a few months. Uh, man, uh, they really need to learn how to use uh, some commas in there. Uh, but did your dad have any um, any interest in working with some of the characters that were that were created after he left? No. No? No, I think when he um, he moved on, I mean, he liked seeing the work people did, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that uh, some of the Yosemite sound might have been from that. But, um, you know, because he, he worked under Frizz for a while and stuff and, and you know, knew him very well. I actually got to work with Frizz too, which was lovely. He used to tell me stories about Bobby because <laughs> he was only 17 when he started working with him. But um, uh, he, he was always like, he had more ideas for characters and for shows and for things than he could ever do in a lifetime. And so he was always looking forward. And, and um, even after being in Cecil, um, he did have some ideas for, for new shows, but just, I think with what happened, especially with the, the animated series and, and how difficult it was to work with um, the, the big television stations and stuff, um, he, he wasn't willing to put himself through a really rough time again. But um, yeah, he, he, 
if things had been a little smoother, and I sometimes think I wish he had a Roy Disney. I mean, I think he could have done even a lot more things, but um, you know, it's, uh, I guess things happened the way it was supposed to. So yeah. I have no regrets for, for any of us. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, <clears throat> Ringer wants to know, um, I may be late, but out of all the characters, Bob made Daffy Duck quite a laugh riot in the shorts, uh, even paired with Porky Pig. How did he contribute so much to his personality after Tex Avery left Termite Terrace for MGM? Like I said, I'm not a I'm not an expert on all of this stuff, so I'm hoping you could you know what he's talking about or she, excuse me. Um, so. Oh yeah, no, ab absolutely. I was actually glad they asked that question because the interesting thing about Daffy was, um, you know, he he loved working with Tex. That was his best experience at the studio all those years and um because they were both like guys that wanted to get more wild with the cartoons and the characters and do, they both would they go out to dinner and you know work on gag ideas and work on story ideas and and there was just a, a real great connection between the two of them and um so when um tex was doing um the, the cartoon where um, Porky is going hunting mm -hmm. and um, for ducks. And so he and Bob had all these discussions and they had this idea of like all these ducks being crazy and doing different things. And so at one point, um, dad went to him and said, you know, I think it'd be better if just one of the ducks was like this real crazy character. And he said to Bob, okay, I want you to do that scene and I'll let you do it how you want, because he knew how far dad could push things. And so um, <laughs> it, it was like really a groundbreaking moment. And you know, again, this was all inspired by text, but you know, it, this is how it all came together. So this is the scene in the cartoon where um, it's it's where he finally leaves the scene. So he starts woohoo and jumping up and down and like just being completely insane, like crazy, and you know, all the way out to the edge of the water. And, um, and you know, Tex thought it was great. He loved it. And, and dad was, you know, thrilled. Anyway, when they showed it internally, which they would do with the cartoons before it went to the theater, everybody loved that character. And they were like, you know, can we get more of him in that cartoon? But they never had the time or budget to put, you know, go yeah. back and redo something. So dad suggested that he add Daffy in the end titles. Mm -hmm. And this has never been done in one of the cartoons. So at the end of that cartoon, if you see the titles, he has <laughs> Daffy bouncing and woo-wooing all around the, you know, the, the titles and stuff. And so really his involvement with Daffy, whether he was working, you know, for text or, or not, um, he had a very strong vision for him of being this really crazy duck. So if you, you look at, um, you know, uh, Daffy Duck, um, you know, where he's just crazy in the hospital, you know, poor Porky is his patient and, um, you know, going all the way to the great piggy bank robbery or baby bottleneck where him and Porky are like, where all the babies are coming, you know, it was uh, take off after the war of all these, 
the baby boom. And yeah. so this cartoons, you know, they get all the animals mixed up. They're shipping the wrong animals to the wrong mothers and all this stuff. And Daffy's just gone completely psycho. Um, Dad always pushed Daffy to, you know, from the very beginning to, to his craziest. And, um, you know, and, and uh, I, I have to say, this is an important thing to say today, is that Dad had a very special connection with Lance Lessinger and appreciated him so much because he's a hardcore businessman and, you know, had, you know, he didn't love everything about him, but he gave the artists complete freedom. As long as they did, he, they could do whatever they wanted, as long as they got it done in time and on budget. And so like Wacky Land, when he saw it, he looked at Bob and said, this is Bobby's wet dream. I mean, this is like so crazy, he, you know, but he let it go. You know, he, he just, he wanted to get a reaction in theaters and have people like them. And so, um, and so he, and, and he got spoiled by that. Anything he did after where suddenly the business people are telling you what to do. You know, I think that in some ways he sort of spoiled dad for life in that regard. But um, yeah, Daffy was always a wild character in dad's cartoons. I don't think you can find one where he's kind of laid back. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um, sidebar for just a second. Did you ever get to meet Tex? Um, no, yeah. I, I, um, I got to meet his daughter, but um, he passed away, um, I think before I was born. I'm not sure, but I, I believe. And uh, so I, you know, I had obviously met Chuck and, and Frizz and um, some of the animators, um, Virgil Ross and so forth. Um, but I, um, I didn't get to meet Tex, which makes me sad because he was definitely dad's favorite. And um, yeah. With as, with as close as your dad and Tex was, and then with as much information as you'd had to go back and just gain to write this book, um, I got to imagine you've come across a few tech stories. Is there one that sticks out the most that your dad might have told you or you might have read or heard from somebody else? Um, uh, I, you know what? I can't think of a very specific like scene. It's just, you know, he has he has caricatures of them. And and this isn't even a funny story, but. Um, they used to go see movies a lot that they thought could, you know, give them some, you know, inspiration for whatever they were working on. And, um, but he was a big smoker, Tex was. And so <laughs> there's a picture of him and Bob, a caricature he did where dad's wearing like a gas mask. <laughs> Tex has all the smoke over his head. And um, yeah, I mean, they just, Oh my God, they had so much fun and they, they were really funny. I'll, I'll think of that and, and then regret that I didn't share it today, but um, somehow I'll get that to you. Oh, that's the, that's the best thing about these, these podcasts, man. Cause as long as, as long as I'm having fun and the guests are having fun, I, there's no way in hell we could do an interview just about you, let alone your dad, let alone anybody else I've ever had on here. And just a little bit of time we actually have. You know, yeah. depending on the guest, I can generally keep and generally we go for hours. Some, I mean, I've had I've had podcasts with as long as three and a half hours, you know, an hour and a half here, an hour and a half. We're talked after we stopped recording. So it just depends, man, whenever the stories are coming. But I, I'd love to have you back on. Uh, this is, like I said, this has been a real treat for me. It's been a real oh, pleasure. Thank you. Really 
I've, I've really enjoyed it. I'd love to, I'd love to come back. Beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right. So the next one here, um, whenever they made a new feline slash cat character over at termite terrace, it almost always has a black and white coat. Why is that? Are they just prototypes, uh, prototypes of, of Sylvester? You know, I, I, I can honestly say, I don't know for sure what the answer is to that. Um, but I thought about it a lot. Um, it's an interesting question. I mean, part of me was like, well, except for Daffy, I mean, you know, a lot of the characters, like he interacted with Tweety, right? Um, and Tweety's a light color yeah. and, you know, Pig is a light color or whatever. Um, but I was, you know, right after that, I remembered that dad did um, a cartoon with two cats, Hepcat it was called, and uh, the guy was black, but the girl cat was white. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, too, if the character, I think with the cats, like if, um, if the character was Sylvester, he had his devious moments. And so, you know, it gave him a more dramatic coat. But, you know, I'm, I'm just making this up because I don't really know for sure. So I'm being honest about it. But I did spend time, like, guessing. <laughs> Do I get credit for that? Oh, yeah. We've, we've got this term that I live by. It's fake it till you make it. <laughs> until, you said, until you said, I don't really know. I'm making it up as I go. I was like, I was hook, line, and sinker. I was agreeing with you. I'm like, yeah, it's 100% why right there. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. A lesson learned. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Justin Delbert, and this is for my education, not his. Um, he writes in, uh, he said, for your own education, not mine, you should ask her about Warner Brothers or, or ask her about after Warner Brothers. When he did other cartoons and puppetry, Clampett was one of us. We talked about that pretty extensively. And by one of us, it means fans. Uh, he loved all of this stuff, loved Disney, loved working at Warner Brothers, loved cartoons and puppetry. Um so we talked a little bit about after his, his Warner brothers stint, uh, but was there anything that we kind of didn't touch? We talked about the puppetry and we talked, you know, him, him doing uh, things for the other, the under the industries and then what he was working on as well. Um, but was what there anything you can add to that? Was, what was his specific question? Uh, he just wanted, he, he just wanted to say uh, to ask about his other interests that were after Warner brothers. So what was he doing after Warner brothers? And we talked a little bit about that. Um, yeah, was there did, anything we didn't touch? Did a lot of different things. Matter of fact, he went to um, uh, to a different studio and and did this cartoon um, called Grand Old Nag mm -hmm. about a horse who gets pulled into a movie playing opposite a female horse, like you know, superstar. And um, you know, he 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 just he was up for anything, you know, to to try different things. So. Like I said, when he found out about television, he, he tried that out. And, and uh, he actually, there was a period of time where he wanted to learn everything he could about television. So he, he actually was um, on a show where he did drawings, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a personality kind of show on television and drawn, showed how to draw characters and stuff. He did a lot of public appearances. He was very, you know, and, and artists and writers and so forth, sometimes they're very quiet and, and focused and, you know, and not comfortable being out in front of the crowd. Well, dad was a real character. And, yeah. you know, actually, I, I'd love to share the story with, um, 
with Leon Schlesinger. He actually met him when he was 12 years old. Wow. Because he just made a movie, a home movie, like he made a movie and he wasn't happy with his titles. Mm -hmm. So he actually went there and asked what it would take for them to make him new title cards for his movie. How's that for ballsy? And yeah. um, Leon came out of his office and to talk to this kid. He was so taken by him that he did it for him and didn't charge him. And so later when Disney offered him this job that he would, when he was 17, that he'd have to wait two months because they were moving. He, he had just read that Leon was opening an animation studio and he called him showed him his art and he started work the next day at 17. So um, one of uh, Leon's friends told dad later in life that um, that he believes that he, this Leon was this kind of guy that he knew that day when he met dad and needed the new titles for his movie at, at 13 or 12 um, that when he hired him, that this guy would one day, be, one day be a director and work his way up. He just knew that. So um, I thought that was like a really fascinating story. Man, it, it's, I didn't like talking to people at 12 years old, let alone going into a place where they're doing animation. Like, hey, man, uh, I don't really like what I'm doing here. Can you do something for me? It's just like, like you said, just the ballsy that it just, it's just, Man, that's that's something right there. It's like ah, just he, he, he really did all along. Yeah. So I think you know, for this this uh wonderful question, there's so many stories behind it because he he really oh another thing, another project he he had done work on and shot some film on was uh, a live action child with puppets, but in a story, you know, that that it, he, he just wanted to try everything. And um, some of the things didn't really work out. I mean, he came this close to making a, a, the first animated feature film before Snow White. And it was um, uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs yeah. um, who created Tarzan. It was uh, a, a series of books he um, had written that dad loved called John Carter and Mars. Yeah. And it would have been like taken, taken um, in you know outer space and um but when the studio um columbia um they were going to move bob over there he was actually going to leave warner brothers earlier we would have missed this cartoon would have never been made um and uh the most of the you know the people in the studio loved it but the people from a certain you know they did test runs with it um because it was like a sales piece and they took it to parts like in the South and stuff. And people are like, we want funny animals. We, who cares about outer space? And so they decided not to move forward with it. Um, I mean, it was just wild, the different things he, he tried. And, and, you know, they didn't all take off, but it never stopped him from trying. I can't remember where I heard this. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I think it's, I think somebody called Floyd. So Floyd Norman. Um, oh, yeah. I, nice guy very when i got to talk to him for the two hours i got to talk to him i have i felt like a kid i'm sitting there and there's times where i'm I, i'm like oh shit i'm supposed to say something because he stopped talking what, what do i say i was just mesmerized not only is because i was like the first thing i one of the first things i told him and i was like floyd 
please don't take this the wrong way. I was like, because usually when somebody says something like this, they say you're ugly. However, you have the voice of somebody that needs to be doing what I'm doing right now and is talking into a microphone. You have a radio voice. And he goes and he tells me this story, Sterling Holloway, how he would model his cadence and his voice after these people that he grew up listening to on the radio. And then I'm just sitting there and then he stops talking. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to say something. Fuck. What do I do? What do I do? I, I felt like an imposter because I was just mesmerized. Like he had, like I said, my favorite movie of all time when it comes to animation is The Jungle Book. It is a beautiful movie. Sadly, it was Walt's last movie. He never got to see it, you know, to his entirety. Um, but it it's such a beautiful movie. Baloo is my favorite Disney character, favorite, favorite hero of all time, Baloo. Favorite villain has always been Captain Hook because he dressed so snazzy. I was in the Navy. He was nautical shit. You know, he had a cook for a hand. He just looked cool as hell, man. That that mustache was super douchey. But he, he just, there was something about Captain Hook that was so cool. But nonetheless, I'm sitting there and listening to him just to give this amazing story about him coming in as such as a little kid and he looked up to this person Sterling Holloway that is the voice of Ka the snake for 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 the jungle book and he's doing this scene where it's the trust in me scene where he's got Mowgli wrapped up and he's trying to mes or he's trying to hypnotize Mowgli um and he's singing a song and he was like I animated that and then my hero is sitting in front of me behind a microphone singing a song that somebody wrote, but they wrote it to what I animated. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, I've been transported to a kid, but he's been transported back to when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I brought this, this analogy up so many times, but that you ever seen the movie Ratatouille? Yeah. There's a scene in that movie at the end of the movie where Ego is eating that ratatouille and then he drops his fork and he is transported back in time to a little kid where he fell down and scratched his knee or he scratched his elbow and his mom makes him the ratatouille dish not only is that what every chef in my industry chases right it's that that white dragon it's that it's chasing the dragon type of thing that's what you aim for every single time you put up a plate but that's what floyd hit when he, when he was telling me that story and it made me feel like a kid again and just sitting there. And, and the whole reason I bring up Floyd in that is because I'm drawing the comparison between your dad and Floyd. And here's why. Every time you've told me a story, the first person I think of is Forrest Gump, right? Forrest Gump was a man throughout history. He popped up at everything from Black Panther parties to Martin Luther King getting shot to JFK getting shot to the Vietnam War you know, to all of this crazy shit. And Floyd was the same way. And Bob is the same way. You, you've got all of these. What I'm getting at is I can't wait to read this book because you've got all of these amazing stories that are happening to this person that is just popping up through the story or the, through the history of animation. And it's so fascinating. It's so crazy when you sit there and think about not only how many lives has your dad touched, but how many lives he's inspired, like how many things that, that, you go to think if like he wasn't there, we don't get that cartoon behind you, right? We don't get that cartoon that I've had reoccurring dreams of just those flashes of those scenes, that scene in particular, just popping up in my head. And I'm like, why am I thinking about this? And then I'm thinking, oh, I'm talking to Ruth pretty soon. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's meant to happen. And I'm supposed to do this so I can actually find out and remember what the name of this was. So I can go back and watch it and I can share it with my kids. Maybe that's why it's happening. 
And I don't know why, like I said, I don't know why I keep thinking of Forrest Gump. And I think that's what Floyd referred to himself as or somebody referred, referred to Floyd as. But the Forrest Gump of animation is fucking wild, Bruce. Can I tell you a little thing about Floyd? Absolutely. Um, and I'm mad at myself because I can't remember who the other um, black animator was that they're very good friends. Uh, Dan, um, is it Dan, Has Dan Haskins? Dan? No. No? no. I'll, uh, I'm so mad at myself because I've written about this. Anyway, um, there was a year where he and Floyd were getting um, a Lifetime Achievement Award in the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame. Yeah. And um, so they, when, when they're getting an award, they can choose who's going to present it to them. They wanted dad to present Oh, that is so cool. And, and he was the first white person to give an award at that. But they felt that he was the one that gave them the first chance to, to get into the field. And they felt so much gratitude. It makes me want to cry. I mean, I just, like, that was one thing I, I learned reading the, the, writing the book, you know, stories like that. that it's like amazing. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, it's just like, like I said, I never know where these conversations are going to go. Uh, and I, I never, I never. All over the place with me. <laughs> it, it really does. And, and I've said it so many times. I'm pretty sure the fans that listen to this are tired of hearing it. But that's why it's called the What's in My Head podcast, because I never know where it's going to go. Yeah. I never know what stories are going to be told. I never know what I'm going to ask. I'm literally flying by the seat of my pants here 98.9% of the time. I usually have a couple things written down, but the couple things that I've written down are generally fans questions. And the rest of it is I'm just going to, I'm going to let whoever I got on and be as narcissistic as they want to be, because I'm going to feed into this narcissism. I want to hear all of these cool stories because like I said, I'm, I'm at such a disadvantage in a sense that I didn't really start looking into all of this stuff until a couple years ago during COVID when COVID happened and they all sent us home. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if I would ever go back to a kitchen again. I didn't want to go back to a kitchen. I did, but I didn't. I enjoy cooking, but I enjoy cooking when it's at my house. I get to buy the ingredients. I get to say, hey, this is what we're eating. And I have so much more joy when I have people over and I get to cook for them. Uh -huh. Right. And it's always funny because I'll sit down and I'll be cooking all day. Right. Uh -huh. And everybody's sitting down and eating like you're going to eat. And I'm like, no, I poison it. Why would I eat poison? And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. And they're like, no, no. Why, why aren't you eating? I'm like, dude, I've been eating this shit all day, probably for two days now, because you guys have been coming over. I knew you guys were coming over last week. So I've been prepping all of this stuff for the last couple of days. So I'm, I'm honestly, I'm tired of eating this shit. I'd much rather eat a bologna sandwich now than eat this delicious meal that I just cooked for you guys. But I have such an enjoyment for that. Right. So when I started this podcast, it was just me looking at one of my favorite movies of all time. The first Ninja Turtles movies that in the 1990s, what was Jim Henson Productions did those live action suits that they built the suits with the animatronics in there and i see this and then <clears throat> the the credits start rolling on the movie the movie i've seen since i was this is the first movie that i burn out three times on vhs when i was a kid there was two movies i burn out one of them was the first ninja turtles movie the second one was dumb and dumber with jeff daniels and jim carrey guess oh, which wow. one guess which one my mom didn't buy again it was dumb and dumber <laughs> i only burned out once right so I'm, I'm watching this movie and I'm cleaning up because my wife's at work. My kids, my kids here because he's doing school at home. And I just happen to see a name pop up. And it's like Gary Proper. I was like, huh, why don't I know this name? Why do I know Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, co-creators of Ninja Turtles? Why do I know the actors and the actresses for this movie? I've never seen that name before. Why don't I know this name? So I get on the old Google. I type in Gary Proper. Find out he lives 45 minutes down the street from me. 
find out he died the year prior, two years prior, right? He was this competition longboard surfer, right? But he came to be a manager. He ended up managing the first Gallagher. Gallagher's got a twin brother. So it was Gallagher one and Gallagher two guy that used to smash watermelons, right? Mm -hmm. So he was touring with Gallagher. They're in Detroit, Michigan. They walk into a comic book store and they see the first issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They would always buy these weird comics and shit. So he goes and he's like, oh my God, this is the next big thing. This is before, like it was an underground hit, but they didn't know Turtles without that first movie, without the cartoon in 1987 and without the movie in 1990s, you do not have the billion dollar industry that is the Ninja Turtles, right? You've got a successful comic book. Like they killed Shredder, the villain in the first issue because they did it as a joke. They were smoking weed in their basement or not in their basement, excuse me, in their apartment. They were trying to make each other laugh, right? So that by all of this, they put out this comic book. The fans absolutely love it and want more. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? We killed the guy in the first issue. What are we going to do? So they go back and they start printing and printing and printing. And this guy finds it. He approaches Kevin and Peter says, hey, you've got to make this into a movie. Cartoon comes first, then the movie. So that Googling that guy led to a newspaper article that told me that this guy died. I called the guy just on a whim. Never thought about doing a podcast. That's all I listen to. I don't really listen to too much music anymore. All I listen to is podcasts. And I was like, hey, I'd love to know more about Gary. And he called me back. And he's like, well, this is what I know about Gary. Here's his manager. Talk to him. That led to, hey, we might want to do a podcast. You seem very interested and very knowledgeable about these turtle things. We've got a connection because I'm with the writers and the producers for the original movie. Let's set something up. Needless to say, that fell through. And I didn't want to get typecast into just doing turtles because that well dried up pretty quickly. It took a long time to get the people I wanted to get on. And there's so much more I loved. I love animation. I love sports. I love cooking. I love all this stuff. So let's just do what's in my head podcast, right? So that's why it's all over the place because I don't know what the hell is going to go on. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who I got on next. I mean, I know who I got on next. I just don't know what we're going to talk about. That's what's so crazy and so fun about this medium is there's no boxes that you have to check. Kind of like what your dad said and Mr. Schlesinger would say is like, go crazy. As long as you come in on time and you're under budget and you're not going over, go crazy, guys. You know, do whatever you want. That's a great thing about this medium. You can do whatever you want within this, this space, this fear, this, this, whatever this podcasting thing is. It's just two people talking. Sometimes it's three people talking, you know? So it's, it's crazy to see what can come from something like this. Some of these stories, I don't know if you've ever told any of those stories. Maybe some of those stories will come up in your book. Maybe these stories are just something that you tell your kids, but now these stories are out there for fans to hear and for people to, that really love animation, really love your father. They can go back and look at this and be like, man, I feel like I know Bob so much more. I feel like I know Ruth so much more. And that's what's so great about what you're doing, Ruth. And I really appreciate what you're doing. How did you even find me or think of me to come on? I, I... Uh, because I was talking to a guy named Jerry Beck. Oh, Jerry. He's a good friend. Of and me. he is, I actually had him on, I, I actually had him slated to come on again to talk about his tenure at Nickelodeon. However, right when I was about to have him on, father-in-law passed away. So I had to cancel that and I, I gotta get back out. But he is such a busy dude with all of the things he's doing right now, trying to pin him down. He's like, yeah, I mean, I got an hour. I was like, damn, we had an hour and a half last time. I, Cause he, he's got some stories, um, but just, and he's forgotten more than I will ever learn in my life. That man is a walking encyclopedia and one of the most 
like funny, just cool dudes. Like you think of people that like animation, you think, oh man, he's a nerd, right? Pocket protector, pencils, mechanical pencil type of dude. You know, you just think like that type of thing. And then you start talking to people that like this and there's no difference from comic books to animation, to food, to music. You like what you like. You're nerdy about certain things. And it just, it, it's an interesting topic. When you, when I started talking to Jerry, I believe he brought up your dad in one of the segments, or it might've been something that he posted on his Facebook group, Cartoon Research. And I just started reading and I'm like, man, I would have loved to talk about this, this guy. And that's why I told you when we first talked, I'm like, this is going to sound really weird, but I'd love to talk to you about your dad. And it, it seemed so, what's the term? can't think of the term but it, it seemed weird asking somebody to hey would you like to come on my show and talk to me um, about your dad like it just felt like using somebody to get something if that makes any kind of sense whatsoever you know it, it probably didn't feel like that to you but that's like what it felt like it just felt weird like oh man I mean I want to get a story out there I want him to know I want people to know more about him but just to me specifically I just felt weird asking that type of question and then I started thinking and it was, I can't remember who passed away uh, last year, the year before last, as far as the animation industry goes, but it was somebody that I really looked up to, or it might've been somebody in comics. I can't remember who it was, um, but I was like, dude, uh, life isn't forever. I, I, if I want to know this stuff, I've got to start asking these people and what better person to ask somebody than their kids, because we see what Bob put out right? We see the interviews he did, right? Those are snippets in his life, very, very small portions in his life. Yeah. You, your mom, your brothers, your sisters, uh, you know, all of the, his friends, right? You guys spent a lot more time with them than the fans ever would have, the fans ever could have. And you only get to see the stories that they put up or the questions that they ask in those interviews, that's why this shit's all over the place when I ask these questions, because this question will lead to something else. This question will lead to something else. And that's why I asked you to come on, because I wanted to know more about your dad, because I don't think, like I said, I've been having dreams about that movie or that, that, that episode behind you. I don't think there's somebody more integral in the Looney Tunes for me than your dad. I just didn't know it until I started really going deep into after that chat with Jerry Beck my mind was blown just talking to him about Looney Tunes, talking to him about just animation in general. I was like, Holy shit. I'm behind the curve. I've got to catch up. I've got to start doing reading. And then it just, that led to an article they posted or a video I saw. I mean, YouTube's great for falling down rabbit holes. You'll just type in one thing and then they'll play something else. That's kind of in that realm. And then here we are, you know, a year later after me talking to Jerry and it's just like, this has been really, really cool and really, really fun and very, very eye-opening. Like I said, without your dad doing that episode, I don't know what I do for Looney Tunes. I mean, I don't know what director I get behind. I don't know what character I get behind, but it was that cartoon sitting above your right shoulder there that pretty much started it all for the Looney Tunes for me. I love that. Yeah. I love that you've connected with Jerry. He's he's a great support to me. and. Yeah. and uh, I really think the world of him. I mean, we're very lucky to have somebody like him yes. in our genre. And, um, and, you know, I've spent years like honoring because, you know, I was doing limited edition cells once I was at Warner Brothers of Chuck's work and Tex and everybody. And um, I just feel so strongly about keeping that legacy alive for the, you know, all those guys. So Jerry's, he's, he's, 
good stuff. National he's, treasure. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. So um, I've kept you a lot longer than I intended to. I just looked up and saw what time it actually was. So I apologize. It's <laughs> it's. I, I feel like we just started. Like we've got more to talk about. So don't don't apologize. I had a good time. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Is there anything uh, that we didn't bring up that you'd like the fans to know? I know you said the first draft just got turned in. So hopefully we'll see the book sooner. Um, but is there anything that you, you'd like to tell the fans that we could keep an eye out for? I, I, I think what I'd like to say is just a really heartfelt thank you because when fans, you know, let me know what dad's work meant to them or how much they love this character how much they love that cartoon. It, I just, it, it does something really important to me. And, and I, I just have the feeling that dad knows it too, then, you know, when, when, and so I have more and more, like I said, you know, young fans following me and asking questions. And um, it just makes me incredibly happy and grateful, um, you know, because there, there were years where like dad's, you know, legacy at Looney Tunes had been sort of pushed away. And, um, and now, you know, it, it's the, the reality of how special they were and unique and crazy and fun. Um, it, it's, it's just a great honor to see all these, uh, new fans and people, uh, discover him. And, and, uh, it's, it's very meaningful to me and my family. And, and, uh, we're grateful, just like we're grateful for you talking to me all this time and letting Thank me you. tell stories. Thank you. Like I said, it, it's, it's been real fun and there's no, no better way to really end it other than she's been Ruth. I've been Julian. This has been the What's My Head podcast. And this has been another piece and a huge piece, ladies and gentlemen, of your childhood. Thank you. And good night. Thank you. Good night. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.